Hey, so welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Trump. We don't impeach Trump. We translate Trump. We take an honest look. We really do. At the current administration, we talk about the existential threats to America, and I think right now the Democrats are. Joining me today is Sean Trendy, Senior Election Analyst for Real Clear Politics. We're going to take a break from impeachment. We'll get his thoughts on how he sees things shaping out with 2020 right around the corner. Um, let me discuss a couple things first. So, Claude, I was on uh, Fox this morning, American Newsroom. Right. They asked me the difference between this one and Clinton. I said, at least two things, obviously. One, the Clinton thing was more interesting to more people because it was right. lurid. Mm-hmm. Graphic, it appealed to prurient interest, which you know is not the best kind of interest. Mm-hmm. But as a friend of mine said once, philosopher George Gilder said, uh, "Not every man has a top, but every man has a bottom." You know, right. so mm-hmm. you start talking about dresses, and you know, and in turn, in the Oval Office, people are what? What's going on? This one is complicated policy. Ukraine, what? You know, what he did, what? And not clear. That, you know, the money was delivered. There was no investigation. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't as clear cut as with Clinton. Plus, most important, uh, Clinton lied under oath. Right. It's crime. That's what I think people forget. Yeah. And these charges here are, you know, uh, obstruction of Congress, Mm -hmm. abuse of power. They're not crimes. Right. Can't find them anywhere, criminal statutes. And it's also in the cloud of just repeated attempts throughout the years from Democrats. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, we're just... What a year and a half or so removed from Stormy Daniels being the headline? Yeah, that's right. And affairs oh, yeah. and this and money collusion, exactly. collusion I mean, for two years. Just, a, just another attempt. Latest to go at exactly. Latest, latest game. Uh, but when they were announced, those charges seemed half-hearted to me. Mm-hmm. As I said uh, in our interview with Sean, which we're going to play, uh, Schumer wants more witnesses. It looks like that's been turned down already. I just read a headline by uh, Mitch McConnell. Nice. This is not, we're not going on a fishing expedition. you got these charges. We'll deal with them. That'll be it. So this can be done with dispatch. I was asked, what does it mean for history? I don't know. I, I know what the past events mean, I, sort of, but I don't know what future events means. I don't know what they are. But I think I, think I can tell you this. I can predict with confidence Democrats continue to try to go after him. Uh, if he's reelected, they may impeach him again. They may try to impeach him again next year. Um this may be how they counter elections, uh, chronic impeachment fever, CIF. I wonder if that will become part of the vocabulary, chronic impeachment fever. But that's no way to work, and I don't think they'd keep the moderate Democrats through endless series of impeachments, and they certainly wouldn't keep the moderate voters. Our friend uh, Mark Levin thinks the only way to cure this is Republicans to impeach the next Democrat president pretty much no matter what. I don't agree. <laughs> Well, I, I just don't want to see that. And let's let's we'll, we'll take the high road. Let them take the low road. Uh, I believe this whole this could be over with John Durham when he can finishes his report. And if we find out, as I suspect we will, that there was all sorts of really bad stuff aimed at derailing the presidency of Donald Trump, the candidacy, and the presidency, um, that'll be a verdict on the Democrats, which will affect how people think about impeachment and then of course the final reckoning this chapter this chapter ends with the election of 2020 right. so we'll uh, we'll see so uh we'll see but i think the you know this chapter will be over and then they'll you know they'll go after him on something else but are these things getting tired you know you mentioned stormy daniels and all there still is that stuff sitting there. You know, Supreme Courts can make some decisions. Southern District of New York can make some decisions. These things could come down and, and could be uh, harmful to the president. And uh, we'll see. We'll just have to see it. You know, whether that occasions the Democrats to get on him again, to remove him, I don't know. But it could. Should we talk a little college football? Why not? Playoff is set. Guess we did that last week. I don't, yeah. I don't you know. <laughs> I, I, well, why don't we talk a little pro football? Okay. We'll never do that. Sure. I uh, really like these Ravens. Yeah, they're good. Lamar Jackson. Um, I was at a uh, f- fancy swamp party. I mean, <laughs> good swamp people, but swamp good people nonetheless. Uh, and I was there with two uh, Baltimoreans. Mm-hmm. Ben Carson, not really a swamp guy at all. I mean, he was brought in by Trump, but a great surgeon, you know, a mm-hmm. pioneer in, in surgery. I, the guy separated these twins born born together at birth. Amazing doctor, mm-hmm. Ben Carson. Big Ravens fan. And another guy you might have heard of, I spent about 20 minutes with, named Cal Ripken. Ah, nice. And he said, you remember me? I said, yeah. <laughs> Why do you remember me? Mm-hmm. We talked because, uh, oh, I we were on a plane and 
some guys were getting a private plane and they asked me to join and we gave him a ride. Not, did you? Yeah. And, oh, wow. Uh, got some time to talk to him. And one of my friends, Bill Schultz, you, mm-hmm. I think you know Bill. Yes, sir. Reader's Digest. Mm-hmm. He, when he found out that Ripken was going to be on the plane, he said, well, he's going out to uh, Anaheim. And well, who you play in Anaheim, the Angels? Right. And so he got a newspaper and he got a picture of the pitcher who Cal Ripken would be facing. Mm-hmm. And he showed the picture to Ripken. He said, this is the guy you're facing tomorrow night. I, I don't think you've ever faced him before. Bill knew a ton about baseball. Ripken said, no, I haven't. Let me look at it. Ripken looked at that picture. This guy showed the guy in his wind-up. I'd say a good 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. He could tell something from a, a still photograph. And three days later, Bill Schultz called me and said, Glad I showed Cal that picture. He went four for five. <laughs> wow. Nice. They did a feature on him and that the something about him with the double plays, if it was off by something like four tenths of a second, it wouldn't connect. Wow. But their timing was such that blink of an eye. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. But uh, he was there. My son was there. Mm-hmm. My son's fiance, you know, our older son's getting married here mm-hmm. very soon was there, and she said, Hi, Mr. Ripken. I don't know if you remember me. So I remember you. Now, how do you remember? He was, after he'd left baseball, coaching girls basketball. And she was on an opposing team. Get out of here. And um, he said, You were a tough one. She said, Yeah, but I got roughed up by your team. They were the maniacs. They were the maniacs. (laughs) And uh, so they talked about girls' basketball. But what a sweetheart of a guy. Really, really good guy. And he's like, talk about a superstar. Sure. So anyway, I started with the Ravens. Your daughter-in-law played basketball? I know she's a tennis star. Yeah, no, she said after that, playing against these maniac women, she said she gave it up (laughs) in tennis. But we got to talk about the Ravens, and the Ra- I'm 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 putting a lot on the Ravens yeah, to win it all. They're good, and the difference about this, that this Ravens team has from Ravens team in teams in the past is that this offense can actually score, and they can put up a lot of points. Where in the past it was more so defense. And we all know how well he, this guy can run. Yeah, but he's throwing. Well, well he can too. pass. Yeah. So, Doctor, and I raised this with Ripken. Uh, Dr. Carson, Ben Carson said, he's got, most of us have some perif- peripheral vision. That's mm-hmm. good enough if you're an athlete. He said, I sometimes think he has 360 mm-hmm. vision. Mm-hmm. If you notice, he'll run out of bounds. And sometimes if you're watching him saying, well, he went out a little early. Mm-hmm. He knows when someone's close to him. And that's key for him. He's a smaller guy. I mean, he runs, but he's a small guy. Right. I mean, he gets crushed by one of these monster guys. Mm-hmm. He's, he's done. So he's got this kind of vision. I, I mentioned it to Ripken. He said, oh, absolutely. Great athletes have that. They know when someone else is close. Wow. That awareness. Also, the ball, where the ball is. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's just that edge that these great athletes have. It's one of the edges absolutely. they have. Absolutely. So, you know, I think they've already beaten the Patriots, right? Right. And so um, they could play again. Mm-hmm. Uh, their competition, the AFC, is probably Kansas City. Correct. Uh, and the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Buffalo's good, but don't have the offense, I don't think. Uh, yeah, Buffalo's good. They own, you know, they played close to the Patriots, and they're playing them again. Yeah, played close to the uh, Ravens as well. But, that's right. Mm-hmm. But is there another team in the AFC that could challenge? Uh, no, I think that's it. don't think so. No, that's it. No one in the South. No. NFC, um, I, you know, these 49ers came out of nowhere, but they're showing some. Right. Clay feet lately. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, Falcons beat him. I don't know if you saw that I last. Did. I did. Julio. Julio. <laughs> man, Julio in the schoolyard. Gosh, he's great. Look out for the Seahawks. Uh, the Cowboys. You like the Cowboys. I do. I don't your know team. which team is going to show up. The team that showed up against the Rams the other day was they, great. They could win the NFC. But you don't know if they're going to show up. Are they going to beat the Eagles at home? That's the thing. We don't know. <laughs> it depends. Uh, the other night, Saints right. were they dominant. Like they Drew Brees yeah. set records. Absolutely. I think the NFC is wide open. And I forgot somebody else, too. The money team of all time, the Aaron Rodgers Green Bay Packers. Yes. They're 11-3, and three, a sneaky 11-3. I know. Yeah. And they you, they played some bad games. Right. They're not winning impressively, but they're winning. But when they get to the money games, mm-hmm. Rodgers is, you know. Absolutely. I'm not sure. How, maybe... Drew Brees, but I don't know. I mean, look, if the game's on the line, two minutes left, you want Aaron Rodgers. There's not a quarterback in the league that makes more 
talk about Lamar Jackson uh, running and buying time. No one makes more time but in the pocket than Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't necessarily scramble a whole lot, but he, he he's able to shift and move around in the pocket to buy the receivers a lot of time. He's great at it. I mean, is Brady done? Uh, Father Brady, the Tom Brady that could get a team to a Super Bowl without a lot of extra help is done. Yeah. I think if, if I mean, there's no doubt if, if <clears throat> Antonio Brown or another receiver was there, they'd he'd still be putting up yeah. numbers. But he can't do it by himself anymore. Well, we'll see. Uh, our friend Chris Beach, his Vikings look good. They do. They do. A lot just depends on Kirk Cousins. Could happen. We We're going to do a Christmas yes. show. We want to hear from you, so get your uh, emails in soon. Where do people write, for heaven's sake, if they got something they want to tell us or complain about sure. or send me a wonderful gift? Exactly. Bill by mail. Bill by, by email. Yeah, by email. Can't, can you send a gift by email? No. Uh, yeah, you can send gift cards by email. Uh, things. Well, I'm a card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want a dry good or a wet good. You, well, go ahead. gmail.com is the okay. website. You're listening to The Bill Bennett, Show. Bill Bennett Show. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org. Presentdangerchina.org. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now, Sean Trendy, Senior Election Analyst for Real Clear Politics. Sean Trendy, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get at it. We're not going to talk about impeachment, except what are we to make of these impeachment numbers? They're, you know, they're, they're kind of all over the map, but they're all 50s, 40s, right? I mean, what what do you see there? Any, anything? Um, it looks like there's been a little bit of trend away from impeachment. I'm not sure how much of that really is, like people deciding the president doesn't need to be impeached. Some of it appears to be Democrats softening up, so perhaps worried about the effect that it's having on the general election or wanting to move on to other things. Um, but, yeah, the numbers aren't moving the way the Democrats had hoped they would. You know, it's interesting, though, but as we are talking, um, they are lining up, and there's been a whole ton of commentary about these 31 Democrats who were elected from, quote, Trump districts uh, and, you know, where they go. I, I never had any doubt. I, I thought almost all of them would fall in line. Democrats have a way of doing that, don't they? Well, so they voted to authorize the impeachment inquiry. Uh, and at that point, you know, a friend of mine had a had a saying in, in law school, there's no such thing as a lukewarm hell, right? Once, you, once you've cast that ballot to impeach or just open the inquiry from a Trump district, backing up and saying, well, but I don't actually decide I don't want to impeach him. That, that, that's a tough sell. So, and it will alienate their base in addition to having alienated Republicans trying to open the inquiry. So, yeah, I, I always thought once that impeachment inquiry was open, this was a done deal. And it was highly unlikely that more than a couple of Democrats would, uh, right. would switch sides. Uh, I agree. I agree. I, your friend wasn't a Catholic, was he? Isn't he? And you're not either. <laughs> There is a lukewarm hell. There is a lukewarm hell. It's called purgatory. What's that? Yeah. I was raised Catholic. Well, so there is one. It's called purgatory. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that too, yeah. So you're just there for a while. Like we said, how long? I remember the priest said, oh, you know, if you've sinned a lot, just a couple hundred thousand years. What the heck? You know. (laughs) What? (laughs) Sounds like hell to me. Anyway, uh, that's the, the scare tactics. You know, our, our friend, colleague uh, Byron York says once this goes into the Senate and then it's out of the Senate and he's not convicted, Democrats will will continue to pursue this. I mean, as several of them already said we may find other bills of impeachment. We may find other articles of impeachment. We may impeach him again. Um, question for you, Sean Trendy, your expert on polling. Is there is there percentage in that for them? to persist in this i understand that the base the hard base may want them to you know be like uh, you know dogs with a bone on this but is this really smart politics for the middle for the election of 2020 no no I, I think i think talking about this is you know something that they're doing to try to keep the base engaged through the fight i, I can't imagine they would impeach him again I, I, I genuinely can't, unless he does something genuinely outrageous. You know, that, that would have be a bipartisan uh, right. impeachment. Right, right, um, it's supposed to you be. You know, if he actually did shoot someone on, on Fifth Avenue. The, yeah, I mean, the Clinton thing was, in, the, in that there were a heck of a lot of Democrats who, uh, you know, condemned uh, Clinton in very harsh terms. I remember visiting with Joe Lieberman, Senator Lieberman, at the time. I went up to see him with uh, Jack Kemp. 
And we said, you know, you have to be, I remember I said, you have to be like uh, Nathan was with David in uh, in the Bible and say, you know, you're the man, you, you have to go, you have to resign. And he, he, we talked for an hour, he took it very seriously. Lieberman then, you may remember, or you may be too young to remember, that he took the, he took the floor and gave a speech, and I thought, boy, was really close to pulling the trigger because he was really yeah. really tough on Clinton. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, he and Bird, um, yeah, were both mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. close votes. Um, I mean, Bird Bird's speech on Clinton's impeachment is, is if you have some time to look it up, is, is one of my favorites. Bird gave some great speeches. He did a lot of things I didn't like, but uh, his speech on impeachment I thought was a very good one, and I think it actually kind of illustrates why Trump ultimately is not being removed. Democrats are fond of saying, you know, this is a political act. Um, impeachment is, but if you don't lose the trust of the American people, if the American people aren't overwhelmingly behind it, like they were with Nixon, um, you know, I don't think you do it. Yeah. Well, they're also not that interested. I mean, I, I. I was just on TV, and they said, you know, American people interested in this. Uh, no. You know, the, the Clinton thing was, you know, lurid and maybe, you know, yeah. appealed to prurient interest. But everybody understood what it was about. And they're saying, holy smokes, they got the dress and they got all that. This thing is kind of what? He did what? And then he said that, but he didn't do it. But they didn't deliver the money and they, you know, or they, you know, we did deliver the, the money for the for the. Uh, for the aid and, and, you know, and no investigation took place. So, you know, it's kind of a muddled policy thing as opposed to this, you know, Clinton caught with this, you know, red handed here. Yeah. And and with Nixon, you know, it it wasn't really until the tapes came out and people heard him, you know, and using foul language. And there's just not that here. Um, There's a transcript of a call. Um, but, and even that's kind of muddled. Um, it, it also makes me wonder why the Democrats, again, to come back, didn't go with bribery, because that's a storyline that people understand. Um, yeah. You know, but they made their choice. How does this shape up for 2020, you think? How does the, uh, just the impeachment piece? We know that, you know, a lot of people don't like Trump. A lot of Democrats, just, you know, really hate him. And some of the base, you know, isn't, isn't thrilled and... Uh, some of the moderates aren't happy, and women tend not to, and men men tend to a little more. But how does how does the impeachment piece break for uh, the election as you see it, or is it hard to say? So I I think the piece, and I don't know if I've seen anyone else point this out, so I'll, I'll take the credit for this one. But what people are overlooking, you know, Trump is a master of the simple story, you know, no collusion, crooked Hillary, and when the you know when the Senate finds him not guilty. He is going to go around the country, and the line is going to be, they, you know, they acquitted me, cleared of all charges. Right. Um, like and said about the Mueller you know, report, right, right. Yeah, yeah, and it'll, the truth will be more complicated, but for low-information voters that don't, swing voters that don't pay a lot of attention, like, that is a story that cuts through and that they can grab. Trump cleared, right, um, headline, Trump cleared. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, there's there's a lot of truth to that, um, even if it is more complicated. So I think that's ultimately going to be the big storyline on how this plays is that for most people, they're going to read this as, OK, yeah, not guilty. I, I, maybe it's the low information voter that I'm thinking about. And maybe your answer is going to be, well, that's too complicated. But it seems to me there's also a dimension here from the. You know, the inspector general's report on the FBI and what this John Durham's going to find out, that can really, could really hurt the Democrats as well. Because it's all tied in together. It's about, you know, the investigation and that involves Russia, Ukraine, all that. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. It depends again how, how, how clear, how clear is it? You know, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. That, that, how clear is it is what's really important, you know? Um, if it's a, like, you know, this was a partisan thing from the beginning and there's clear evidence of it, then, uh, I think, uh, that's something that can resonate. It'll just depend. It'll just depend. Okay. Okay. Let's go to, uh, uh, politics. Uh, Donald Trump will be the nominee of the Republican party. You think? I, I would bet yeah. huge amounts of money on that. I saw Bill Weld the other day and they said, well, you don't stand a chance. He said, I'm, I'm in second place. <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny i guess you are about about 99 percent behind yeah uh let's look at the field now today i heard several places up early uh that the number one uh, vote getter for democrats right now um is uh none of the above or undecided is that right yeah yeah 
What's going on, Sean? What's going on? They have they have the Republican twenty sixteen field without a Trump. So they have oh, this massive great field way to put of, it. That is a great way to yes, put it. Good. <laughs> that's yeah. why they pay me the big bucks, right? Um, no, no, but I'm just thinking about it because Trump went through and showed the faults of each of these people. And then, you right. know, his faults were maybe magnified, but he just seemed kind of, you know, bigger than everybody else. And oh, yeah. you were left with them with all their faults and that's what you got to that that's great, great description. 2016, no, Trump. That's great. And there's no one that's really capturing the Democrats' imagination like Trump captured the imagination of a substantial Perfect. part of the Republican Perfect. Party. Really good. Um, and so you, they're all, it's, you know, the 2016 field for Republicans was a bunch of yeah buts. Like, yeah, Jeb, but, you know, right. we really want another Bush. And yeah, Marco, but his immigration stuff. And yeah, Cruz. You know, um, and that's how it is with this field. Like, yeah, Biden, but he's old. Yeah, Warren, but, you know, she she wants to take away health insurance. And yeah, Buttigieg, but he's the 37-year-old mayor of Indiana's fourth largest city and, and so forth. And so I think a lot of people are kind of hoping to be wowed or fall in love. But, you know, it's getting late in the game. So at some point they're going to settle and we don't know how they're going to settle. And that's the big story. Yeah. Um, well, let's deal with one thing, um, outsiders and let's, let's count uh, Bloomberg as an outsider. He's in now, but, um, why did he run as a, a, a Democrat and not as an independent? I, if you were advising him, would you I have, advi- and, and those were the two choices. Would you have said Democrat or would you have said independent? So I think he has a better chance of becoming president running as an independent, but I think he's worried that if he does that, he's remembered as a spoiler who tipped the election to Trump. So that's you. also likely. All right. Um, so he has this strategy for the Democratic primary, which isn't a terrible strategy of kind of staying out of the fray, uh, this 15-person scrum, you know, where people like throw some pot shots at him, but they're focused on each other. And then he'll see who limps out of South Carolina. In the meantime, he's defining himself in these early states. He pretty much has the airwaves to himself. Um I, I don't think it'll work, but I mean, the guy endorsed George W. Bush in 2004, um, but it's not a terrible strategy. Okay. Uh, anybody else? I, I, you continue to hear stuff about two women, uh, Hillary. Uh, is that really possible? You think? Uh, I think Hillary is trying sound to sound like that. You're the expert. I want to <laughs> oh, go ahead. I think. Yeah, I think she's trying to stay relevant in the event that there's a brokered convention. Okay. Odds of you a know, brokered Democrat, convention. No one, 15%. Okay. No more than that. Okay. No, uh, but, but with 15 people in the field, you know, that's not terrible odds. One other name with two uh, questions. Michelle Obama. Because I hear, you know, she is the most popular Democrat. She and her husband. But she is hugely popular. The book has sold millions of copies. People love her. Uh but that's different from being a candidate and having to answer questions. Yeah, I mean, I like Michelle Obama, right? Like, she's never done anything that offends me, and and she seems like a, a good mother and a good wife and a good, you know, smart person, obviously. Um, but the, you know, you you throw your your name in the the field, um, and you start having to take positions on everything, and you start having to attack other Democrats. It, just like Hillary had like sixty percent approval ratings at the start of twenty fifteen, and then she became a candidate, uh, and it all changed. So, plus, from what I understand, Michelle Obama just really doesn't care for politics. She's more into the service and and charity and and stuff like that. So, I'm very skeptical of that. So we have the field, you think? I think so. I think so. Let's disaggregate the data. Let's do it that Sean Trendy way. You still doing it that way? Buy buy stock, sell stock? Yeah, we yeah, absolutely. Let's let's do it. I'll start uh, you know, Biden, I, I'm still a sell. I'm less so than I was in the past um, because I'm thinking he might be Romney 2012. Like people just kind of at the end of the day, like shrugging, like, okay, good enough. The person I, I, I still there. Still he's still I there. Think. I mean, all the mistakes and yeah. all the beating and all the people saying it won't happen, but he's, he's still showing up, right? Yeah, he's sticking around with his 25%, you know, uh, good, good support in South Carolina. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Sanders, I would buy. Right. Um, there is, he, he doesn't get 
a lot of attention from the mainstream press, but he is in the hunt in all of the first three races. He needs some things to break his way to save that, sweep them rather, um, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that he sweeps them. And if he does, they have a very difficult time stopping him from being the nominee. Suppose he just sweeps the first two. Even just Iowa and New Hampshire, you know, and loses loses Nevada and South Carolina. Um, He still has a ton of momentum going into Super Tuesday. And there's a lot of states on Super Tuesday, like Colorado and Oklahoma and Massachusetts, that voted for him uh, in in 2015 or 2016. So I'm a little bullish on him. I had too. I think he was down a while. I said early on, I thought it'd be Sanders. Then I began to have doubts with the rise of yeah. Warren, which we'll get to in a second. But now I think he's strong again. He's probably got the most dedicated core cadre, doesn't he? Yes. And so, in you know, the Iowa caucuses reward having a ton of people show up, you know, to support you. And he'll have that. Uh, and then he's from next door in New Hampshire. And then Nevada is a caucus. So I mean, he, he, he's well positioned. Remind me, what's before, what's earlier, Nevada or, or South Carolina? It goes Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. Okay, okay. Yeah, people forget Nevada um, when they're doing this. What's the time? What's the yeah. time? What What are the dates roughly? I think I think they're roughly a week apart. Okay, Nevada's a week after New Hampshire and a week before South Carolina. Or is it longer than that? I can't remember. Uh, I think it's it's literally like one week, one week. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay. gonna. Okay. Yeah. So. Iowa is the 3rd of February, New Hampshire is the 11th, Nevada is the 22nd, South Carolina uh, is after that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, well that's interesting. So, by Bernie. Uh, also, he picks up delegates with this, explain this rule where he, you know, he's going to go into the convention with a lot of people because of the, what's, what is it called, the 15% thing? Right. So you need to get 15% of the vote in a state to get any delegates. And after you cross that threshold, the delegates are awarded proportionally uh, to, to the vote share of the remaining people. And so Sanders is just, he's one of those guys that, you know, if it does end up being a three or four way race, he's one of those guys that is going to be getting 15, 20% in every state racking up delegates, whereas some of these other candidates might miss. Um, right. So they're, they're, people are sleeping on Sanders. I agree with you. I agree with you. And also, uh, quite apart from the dedicated core, the dedicated cadre, um, Sean, it seems to me that his people, you know, they're going to stick to it to the end because they feel they were taken last year, that they were hoodwinked, tricked, you know, razzle-dazzled by uh, by Hillary. And, and they're right. Yeah, I mean, they look at things like Hillary apparently getting the debate questions and, and stuff right. like that. And, they say, right. hey, we, we, and Iowa, people forget this, but it came down to a couple of coin tosses. You know, if coin tosses had broken the other way, Sanders would have won Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, he only lost Nevada by like point. So, yeah. you know, they, they are ready to go. And if he wins these first three races and the Democratic Party comes out hard against him, stop Sanders, like they're going to have a real problem in November because right. those voters are going to be angry. Let's talk about Warren. Uh, she's getting a lot of attention lately. She was zooming up. A lot of people said she's going to be the nominee. Then she hit this thing, which it seemed to me she did not have to come out. Didn't have to come out Medicare for all with a $30 trillion or $50 trillion <laughs> price tag and then had the problem of explaining it, how to pay for it, which she's still having trouble doing. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think her strategy, you know, was from the outset was to you know, try to elbow Sanders out and get the get his voters, and it didn't quite work um, because she also wanted to be the wonk candidate. You know, the, the candidate that Hillary voters had hoped she would be. Um, and at the end of the day, then you have to start making. You know, if you're going to be the technocratic wonk who knows all the details, you have to say like, okay, I got this thirty trillion dollar plan. How am I going to pay for it? Uh, and there is no good answer to how you're going to pay for that uh, that doesn't involve you know hitting hitting the middle class common um, sense level not maybe an economist analytical level it just common sense it just defies common sense when people say well why why take away people's private insurance when most people really like their private insurance i mean it's a very good talking yeah, yeah. point when people raise that objection isn't it yeah yeah and so she kind of has two responses to that uh you know the first is this is actually borrowing from Buddha judge well you know the the republicans are going to say that about you know any democratic candidate and yeah there's a difference between having a republican attack ad run against you and running on a republican attack ad 
right? Like, right. I, I, Joe Biden gives his explanation, and I look at the two, and I'm like, okay, yeah, Biden seems to have it right, but she has to own this. The other argument is that, well, you know, yeah, you're gonna, you're, you're going to, people like Medicare, so you'll adapt, um, and you also won't have to pay premiums or anything like that. So it's a wash. Right. But I, that's a very, first, I don't buy it, but second, that's a very nuanced argument for most people to have to sort through. Well, how does Bernie is 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 uh, is Medicare for all as well, right? Sure. Sure. So, but, so Bernie, but he hasn't is, priced it out or something, right? Isn't that right? Or he's priced it out lower somehow. Remind well, me. Not afraid to say, yeah, I'm going to tax you until you bleed. Ain't going to tax you more. Mm-hmm. But you know, like, but he, he says I'm going to tax you more, but but you won't have to buy insurance. Blah blah blah. blah right? Yeah. Right. And he's done things like his wealth tax goes down to 10 million, you know, which is, you know, that's getting close to not particularly wealthy people. I mean, the, you have $10 million, you have a lot of money, but like small business people and stuff can, can have a $10 billion business or $10 million business. Not that difficult. Um, so yeah, you know, he, he's honest about it and he's kind of, he's more Eugene McCarthy, right? He's an idealist. Yeah. His brand is not on this super wonk who knows yes. all the details. Yes, like good Warren point. To yes, good point. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, the, I'm the savior. I'm the yeah. I'm the, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I have the vision, and we'll sort out the details later. Okay, let's pause here. I want to talk about a couple other people, but let's pause because you, you know, you, you're still skeptical of Biden. I am too, and one of the reasons I am is if you add up in almost any poll, Warren plus Sanders. You know, one's the wonk, one's the, the you know, the idealist. Uh, their numbers together are bigger, much bigger than Biden's. Isn't that pretty much true? Yeah. yeah so that's that's the left brain of the party. Does, do they come together? Could, could, could they, would it make any sense, actually, as a real ticket, would it make any sense to have a Sanders-Warren-Warren-Sanders ticket? So if I were Sanders and Warren... And now, now, who knows what Warren wants to do, like what she really believes. Um, but if I were Sanders slash Warren, I would say, like, let's go through Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, see where things wash out. And then, like, if it's not happening, you endorse me and I'll make you my vice president. Whoever, um, come, whoever comes in higher. Right, right. Yeah, I remember Ted Cruz put Carly Fiorina on the ticket at the end of his, his bid to try to gin up some enthusiasm in 20, uh, 25th, 2016. Like, try to do that with Sanders Warren, like unify the left try to overwhelm Biden. Plus, remember, Bloomberg is going to be playing on Super Tuesday, so Biden is almost guaranteed to have his vote share split. You know, another yeah. old white, old white uh, moderate guy is going to be spending five hundred million dollars on Super Tuesday. So, if you unify the left, that's going to be a lot of votes. That's all white. That's all white, old, and left. <laughs> I mean, what, what is that ticket? One hundred and fifty years old. <laughs> Warren Sanders, well, but, but yeah, but. You know, it's a way, if it unifies the left and racks you up some delegates, you figure out figure out the general election in the next six months. Yeah, it's different too because they don't. Um, both Warren, I mean, I'm not fans, but both Warren and Sanders move younger than Biden. That's what they said of Eisenhower. Yeah. He was old, but he moved young right till the end. You know, he always yeah. moved young. Uh, you know, yeah. she's energetic. He's energetic. Gosh, do I see? Do I see more? pictures of him hitting a baseball or throwing a basketball or dancing. Um, and Joe has his little run onto the stage, which always looks very staged to me. You know, <laughs> They don't fail, I mean, when they're speaking in ways that that Biden does. They don't lose their place. Yeah, and, and the, the problem Biden has is that the major knock on him brings true. Right. Like I, I was kind of like, ah, you know, he's always been kind of a flake. I remember him in Senate Judiciary Committee, like talking about man and dude and stuff like that. But uh, I, when he confused Vermont with New Hampshire, that's when I was like, oh, that does not look good. Uh, and there's just I, I, I don't know. If I were the Republicans, I, I, you know, if I were a Republican mischief maker, you know, the, the dirty tricks guy, I would I would get some old guy who's, you know, like um uh, that guy they have in the uh, commercials with the with the young blonde woman uh, and put a shirt on him so you can't see his muscles and challenge Biden and then when Biden <laughs> says how about a push up contest go out and just do about three hundred push ups that'll be the end of the yeah. campaign you know hey you want to do push ups come yeah. on I don't think Biden wants someone to call him out on that push up challenge I mean he's an eighty year old man and and you can be in good shape as an eighty year old man but yeah no, be careful. Yeah, be careful what you wish. <laughs> be, be careful what you challenge people to do. 
Anybody <laughs> else? Anybody else? I mean, Buttigieg was the flavor of uh, what two weeks ago. Man, he's ahead in Iowa. He's ahead in New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean, there's this kind of phenomenon of turnout discovery and decline. Political scientists kind of call the model where, or sorry, discovery discovery scrutiny decline. Um, where candidates get discovered, they get a little burst of enthusiasm, then they don't, uh, then they don't, you know, pan out. So, by the way, I just googled you, and you're 76. So, I, I bet you could still beat me in a, a push-up contest. You're not old like Joe. Um, <laughs> but but um, I'm not going to take a chance you know, I, and I, challenge I, you, though. I tell you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think I think Buttigieg is someone who you know, okay, young, enthusiastic, maybe like Bobby Kennedy type guy, and then they find out that he did a lot of work for McKinsey, which doesn't bother me, but bothers your yeah, liberal gosh, yeah. Democratic primary voter, and and you know, there's so yeah, many trip, so many tripwires in that party. Mm-hmm. You know, if you work for a I, bank I or a corporation, or you. Helped somebody, you know, whose brother worked for a tobacco company. I mean, you or just Exxon. <laughs> yeah, Exxon. Yeah, but I guess Buttigieg too is. Someone said the zero percent in South Carolina with blacks was high. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a delicate thing that people have kind of danced around. But I mean, if you do, if you break down the question, and this has been measured in the general social survey, you know, do you think homosexuality is always wrong? Um, you know, whites, it's like 25% say, yeah, it's always wrong. But those voters are mostly in the Republican Party. Um, with African-Americans, it's like 60% still say it's always wrong. And those are all Democrats. Yeah, um, you know, you know who spoke to that, actually? Did you notice? Jim Clyburn spoke to that. Yeah, I saw that a few days ago. And uh, it's very real. Was, you uh, know, he was very, he was very proper about it, but he said, you know, my generation, you know, we just, you know, we just, we're not there on that issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a problem for him on the super, in the super Tuesday races. I think it's potentially a problem in the general election. Um, yeah, but I want to come back to, to the uh, African-American vote, black vote, but yeah. let's quick, quick comments. Amy Klobuchar, uh, the Yang gang, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, yeah. I'd buy Klobuchar, actually. He's making a little bit of a move in Iowa. Um, I feel like, I mean, you know, we're still over a month from Iowa. There's time for one more momentum surge, so it might be her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people have been talking of Klobuchar since she declared. I think she's t- I think she's a nightmare for Trump to run against. Um, yeah, yeah. But... Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I hard to know her. how to hit her, you know. I mean, I, uh, Elizabeth Warren leads with her jaw, so does, you know, Joe Biden. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, Klobuchar doesn't, you know. Where, how does he attack her, you know? Yeah, it's hard, hard to yeah. know. Yeah, yeah I think, uh, you know, Klobuchar, she's liberal, but not way out there. She's a woman. She's, you know, relatively young. Um, and she's from the upper Midwest, which is like the swing region. I, I think she is, she is. Okay. So I would buy. Okay, you'd buy. So let's run through quickly. Warren, buy or sell? Sell. Sanders, buy? Sell. Buy, yep. Biden, sell? Yeah. Buttigieg? Sell. Klobuchar? Buy. And I'd say Biden is a sell slash hold. Okay. Like I said, I'm kind of coming around that he's stuck around longer than I thought he would. Yep. Plato says what's, what's, you know, what endures is real. He's enduring. Yeah. Um, Andrew Yang. I, I would sell the rest. I just don't see it. Tulsi Gabbard, Cory Booker. What happened to Cory Booker? What happened to Kamala Harris? So I think, no, you know, Harris's problem happen. is she just didn't have a second act. You know, she had yeah, that great yes, debate yeah. and she just couldn't follow it up. She also had a tough time finding her niche, right? You had yeah. Biden nailing down the moderate vote with Klobuchar maybe and, and Sanders and Warren with progressives. Like, what was her story? Um, hey, that's funny because I, I I thought early on that she was going to be the tough one to beat because to, for the for the re- same reason you just gave, but I viewed it as a positive. wasn't as liberal as as uh, as Warren and Sanders was more liberal than Biden. You know, Goldilocks. You know, the the, the you know the soup the porridge was just right, but but she couldn't yeah. find she couldn't find it, and you really couldn't figure out where she was. Yeah, she really, to me, was the Rubio of this race. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. great on paper. Like, checked off 
so many boxes, but yeah. at the end of the day, right. just couldn't find the right method. Um, yeah, it's clever. I mean, and, and I mean, you know, for, you can even say like, you know, Tulsi Gabbard landed a knockout blow on her kind of at the debate, like uh-huh. Chris Christie did with Rubio and she just didn't know how to come back for it. So, um, and Booker, you know, he just, I, I think he just is inauthentic yeah. in, a, in a in a time when people are looking for that authenticity. I yeah. mean, his, his I am Spartacus moment. Yeah, anybody who tells the, you how authentic they are runs the risk of being inauthentic, you know. Yeah. Uh, was Ralph Waldo Emerson says, the louder he spoke of his honor, the faster we counted our spoons, you know. <laughs> uh, I, and I don't mean he's dishonest, just that he kept speaking about, oh, yeah, we got to be, you know, more like me, you know, loving him. <laughs> right. so, you know, this didn't work. Uh, you know, odd, too, very impressive guy. I met him years ago, and I was impressed because he was tight end at Stanford, you know, in all-conference, and <laughs> he was making his way, and, you know, people, he had a lot of friends in New York, and a yeah, very impressive, you know, man. Um, but uh, just, yeah, just something, I don't know, just didn't find it right. Um, I want to come back, though. Let's talk about uh, a black vote. I was talking to Peter Kirstenau. Do you know Peter at all, Civil Rights Commission? Name's familiar. All right, he's uh, he's on the Civil Rights Commission. Lives in Cleveland, lives in the inner city, and he's been checking all these polls, but, you know, you're the, you're the guy we defer to. He said there really are about two or three polls that have black support for Trump at 30%. So I asked Kirsten, I said, it sounds high to me. He said, it is high. Let's say it's about... Forty percent of that. Forty percent is twelve, and if Trump gets twelve percent of the black vote, this thing's over. Yes, it's very over. Um, is that true? If he gets twelve percent of the black vote, it's over. Because in the North, uh, in the Midwest, the Democrats are utterly dependent on getting ninety, you know, ninety plus percent of the black vote in the cities, in places like Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin. And if it falls down, there just aren't enough voters left uh, to for them to win. Uh, so, I mean, it, it would be devastating for, for uh, a Democrat to get you know eighty six percent of the African American. So, think Cleveland, Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Claude, yeah. go ahead, Claude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting because, I mean, almost to that point, I think in 2016, there may have been a, a portion of the population who voted for President Trump, but wouldn't admit it, like would remain anonymous, even in some of these polls, whether that was a positive vote for President Trump or just not voting for his opponent. And that played a major factor. Do you have any any thought on on that coming up in 2020? Is there an amount of, of the voting population that may support him uh, or at least won't vote for his opponent, but they will rem- but they are remaining silent about that now? So. Yeah, there actually is some social science research on that. I won't go into about, you know, African Americans being willing, more willing to support, uh, white candidates to donate to white candidates until you suggest that they run some experiments that people, when it's suggested that their votes or donations would be make, made public, like all of a sudden, like, no, 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 um, I wouldn't do that. Uh, so I think that's part of it. We also, in 2016, one of the heads up we got that Trump actually might win despite what some of the polls were saying was back when Jesse Helms was running for the Senate, pollsters realized that people weren't going to admit they were voting for Helms, but would still do it. And so instead of asking them, are you going to vote for Helms? They say, okay, you're not going to vote for him, but like, what do you think your neighbors are going to do? And people would oh, all my neighbors are going to vote for Helms. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And we actually started to get that uh, in 2016. We also got it. We we at RCP knew that there was going to had a pretty good guess there was going to be an upset in the Florida governor's race because it was the same effect. Are you going to vote for DeSantis? No. What about the people around you? Oh yeah, all of them are going to vote for DeSantis. I got you. So yeah, I think there's definitely some of that going on with Trump. When I asked Peter because he'd studied this. Um, pretty closely. I said, who are these people? His first answer was the people you described, Cleveland, uh, Milwaukee, Detroit. But his second answer was louder, more emphatic. And he said, by the way, they're all men. He says, this yes. is a male vote. This is the black male vote, not black uh, women. Yes. So there is substantial evidence, especially younger black men, of a weakening of Democratic Party attachment. Um, it not. I don't want to overstate it, you know, but if you look at... Uh, Older black men and women who came of age during the civil rights movement, attachment is at that 90, 95%. Um, with younger African Americans, it starts to fall down into the 80s. Um, 
so, especially among males. I mean, there there is some evidence that Trump did get something on the order of 20% of African American young African American male vote uh, in 2016. I think that's a little high, um, but again, if you're not getting 90%, um, it becomes a real problem for Democrats. So, I, so I, I do, how 30. plausible is 11 or 12% black vote for, for Trump? I think a lot depends on who his opponent is, you know? I mean, there's kind of a question of Buttigieg floating around out there, but, you know, he has a story to tell, you know, with, with African-American unemployment and all-time low. I think I think if he had stayed away from some of the racially incendiary comments during his first term, he, he would be getting a second look for, from a lot of people because, his, you know, some of his stances on things like trade and immigration have some resonance there. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think 11 or 12 percent is plausible. Yeah, the last thing Peter said, and I don't mean to overburden the conversation, with Peter, but he's a very, very credible witness, lives in inner city Cleveland. He said, well, you know, one guy said, um, you know, I'm moving out of the city, going to the suburbs, thanks to Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah and that's, that, you know, the storyline is, is that as, and even, even going back into the 2000s with George W. Bush, you know, the African-American vote, it wasn't a monolith. Like the exit poll showed, if you were a, a you know hundred thousand plus earner, African American, um, about one in five chance you voted for Trump. You know, poor blacks, very heavily Democratic. I, I, I'm sorry, Bush, not not Trump. Um, in the 2000s. And so as you get more and more African-Americans climbing the mobility ladder, it's not surprising that, that you would start to see more voting, more Republican voting among them. Um, and so, again, I don't want to oversell this storyline. Um, are they making but, an effort? I, I asked, uh, you know, several people, uh, you know, are they making an effort to reach out to black communities? And the answer was yes, they really are. I hadn't noticed, but apparently they are. And, and Geraldo Rivera was in on this conversation and he said, and there's big effort to reach out to the Hispanic community by Trump. And, uh, and, and he said, and it's working. Yeah, I, I part of the problem. I remember Liz Mayer uh, said something I'll never forget, which is she said part of the problem Republicans have with Hispanics is that their idea of outreach is showing up six weeks before the election and doing like a burrito cookout, uh, and then they never see you again. Right. Um, right. You know, if you write off a demographic, yeah, like you're not going to get a lot of votes there. Um, but you know, I've had it from credible sources that Donald Trump has, has been doing some kind of sustained outreach. He's going to have insane amounts of money, unlike 2016 for his re-election bid, to kind of pound this lowest unemployment, you know, fighting to keep working class jobs together. So uh, if he was going to do it, this is the way to do it. Again, I'm not going to predict 12 or 13 percent, but he's doing a lot of the types of things you would need to do if you were serious about it, which he seems to be. He's, um, there was a report um, I'm just curious, um, a report, I think it was Saginaw, Michigan. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, it was a focus group of people who had voted for Obama, who had then decided to vote for Trump. And in this group that was interviewed back when, 16, they went back and talked to this group and they said all of them said they were going to vote for Trump again. Yes. So the evidence seems to be that a lot of the blue collar uh, voters who switched to Trump are still Trump voters. The, the, the big question mark for this election and why I think Sanders and Warren are so dangerous for the Democrats is what happened to the suburbanites, the people who live in my subdivision in Delaware County, Ohio, uh, who just couldn't do it. Maybe they did it in 2016, but in 2018, they kind of switched and started voting Democrat for Democrat. Do they continue to vote Democrat in 2020? And if the answer to that is yes, this is going to be a tough election for Trump to win. If the answer is no, you know, if they're going to switch back to voting for Trump, the Democrats are in trouble, like real trouble. Okay. How do you call it now? Seat of the pants or whatever you got? It's a genuine coin toss. I, I think it, Trump yeah. would beat. I think Trump would beat Warren or Buttigieg. I think it's a tough race against Biden, assuming Biden doesn't have any serious senior moments, which is a big assumption. I think I actually think Sanders is kind of a wild card. You know, could could win, could lose by twenty. Um, you know, it just it's it, it, not it, clear it, that he's McGovern, right? It's not clear. 
Joel? It's not, because yeah, I think yeah. he is one who actually could get back some of the blue-collar whites that Trump lost. Uh, he has a lot of the same appeal that Trump has. Um, but, you know, like my generation, Gen Xers, who are kind of a swing group, you know, we still remember the Soviet Union. And so you run a, someone who actually embraces the socialist label, <laughs> that's a tough sell. What about, uh, I mean, <laughs> I know the president doesn't talk about it, which drives a lot of his people crazy, but this economy is, is like record. I mean, it's unbelievable. I heard Jim Cramer, who I don't think is a Trump fan, saying on CNBC, it's the greatest economy of his lifetime. And Bob Lighthizer just announced, got to deal with China. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this uh, Stuff, right? Trump I mean, had given us, yeah, it should be. Or all, like, oh, any yeah, candidate running, yeah. yeah, any candidate running for re-election in this economy should be winning this in a walk. Um, and it just, some of Trump's outrageous stuff helps him, you know, but it, it's like, it's like the, the friend you have who's kind of like not politically correct and says some funny things, but then every now and again, he just goes too far. All right. Well, you um, wins and you wins. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's Trump. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. he, he, he he punches honestly he punches down too much like no one cares if he wails away at aoc um you know if he's a member of congress or whatever but but he just throws haymakers at people outside the political process or is thin-skinned and, and that stuff takes a toll on him well we'll see sean uh what did i forget to ask you tell us what some other smart things that yeah, i didn't think of asking you <laughs> <laughs> you know i i think uh I think the Senate is going to be interesting if it's a close race. Really? Um, no. Or if Trump loses, especially if Trump loses. Um, because Trump you have loses, these races. Could, Trump loses, Republicans could lose the Senate. Yeah, yeah. You have all, you have races in place like, places like Maine and North Carolina and Georgia, yeah. Arizona, which are purplish, purplish-blue, purplish-red, that in a very close race, these senators can all hold on. But if Trump starts to lose by four or five points, Okay. Those seats are very much at risk. House? Uh, very hard to imagine Republicans taking back. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay, Sean, thank you very much. Great. Hey, thanks for having me. We'll do this again. A lot of fun, and that's a great insight. That Claude and I just both slapped the table when you said the Democrat field is the Republican field of 2016 without a Trump. That's why they keep looking. No, no, it's great. They keep looking for this deus ex magida, you know, this somebody to step forward and they're, and they're in there. I, I think this is what the wistfulness about Hillary and, you know, Michelle and all that, that, that ain't going to happen. Yep. They used to write that up, but yeah, you got to write that up <laughs> after the podcast released. And yeah, 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 yeah. Give us, <laughs> give us, give us a couple days. And then the show in the piece. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a plan. In the meantime, you'll see me right. come up with this as my original idea on, oh, no. on Fox <laughs> several times. <laughs> I'm call I'm calling Sean Hannity right now. Hey Sean. No. Tell you about the field. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, other Sean. Good Sean. Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye bye. Well that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. By the way, we want to know what people are doing for Christmas, right? Yeah, just email us BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook, just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. Catch up next week. 